Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 602. We're starting with a quote. No matter how much cats fight, there always seem to be plenty of kittens. Who said it? Surprisingly enough, it was Abraham Lincoln. Cats and birds are on our agenda this morning. More about that in a moment. Meanwhile, we haven't done a bird song comparo in quite a while, so we thought we'd try one today. Kind of a challenging one because it's between two birds that don't really have songs. Two woodpeckers that inhabit almost all of North America all year round. The hairy woodpecker and the downy woodpecker. Telling them apart is pretty easy if you see them at the same time. The hairy is quite a bit bigger than the downy. Hairy is huge. Downy is diminutive is one way to remember which name applies to which. The bill of the hairy is about as long as its head from front to back, while the length of the downy's bill, much smaller, only about a third of the front to back measurement of its head. On closer examination, you might also note that the hairy woodpecker, the huge one, has all white outer tail feathers, while the diminutive downy's outer tail feathers are spotted black and white. And why are they called downy and hairy? By the way, according to Judy Kellogg-Markowski of the Bangor, Maine Daily News, the hairy woodpecker gets its name because of the hairy-looking small feathers on its legs and head and over the upper mandible. The downy kind of has those things, too, but let's not quibble. And the folks at archive.org tell us that the downy woodpecker is named for the soft, downy, white feathers on its lower back. A subtle field mark, to be sure. And although these two birds don't really have songs, they do have calls, and they're a little different from one another. Here's the downy. And here's the hairy. Well, they're pretty close, and the speed of the bird's drumming is also different. With a little practice, we can tell the difference here. The little downy's drum is a little slower. Then the Harry's drum. Okay, downy. Harry. All right, little. These a little practice. If you're still not sure, go with downy. There's a lot more of them. So if you think it's a downy, chances are pretty good that it is. That's our two woodpecker comparo. Diminutive downy versus huge hairy woodpecker. Meanwhile, here's a preview of our mystery bird contest. To offer a head start so that you'll be ready to call when we do the contest a little later on in this morning's show. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. And here's one clue. Our large 
coastline, large lake, and river-dwelling mystery bird the size of a big gull sports a white body, a black cap, and a large coral red bill with a dark tip. A little preview of our mystery bird contest coming along shortly. Well, we're happy to say that Talking Birds ambassadors are now representing 17 states from Maine to California, including both of those states. In fact, we're welcoming Barry B. from Petaluma, California, as one of our newest ambassadors. Barry included a kind note saying, Love the pad- the podcast. Fantastic sound effects. I can hear you tweet, tweet, tweeting all the way out here in the West Coast in Petaluma, California. We'd also like to welcome new ambassador Maurice in Tucson, Arizona. He says there's a great community of bird enthusiasts here in Tucson, especially with all the migrations. The hummingbirds are especially wonderful also. That is certainly true. And welcome to Peter in Weymouth, Mass., Massachusetts, that is, who tells us that he loves the show and has learned a lot from it. Well, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barry and Maurice. If you'd like to be a Talking Birds ambassador, it's pretty easy to do. It's a little program in which we send you some info cards about our show and ask you to hand them out to friends and associates. That's about the size of it. Easy to sign up. Just go to TalkingBirds.com, our website, TalkingBirds.com. Uh, Click on the contact button up at the top and then just choose become an ambassador. Let's become an ambassador via the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, we're going to hear about cat wars. That's right, cat wars, the devastating consequences of a cuddly killer. That's the title of an important new book and co-author Peter Merrow will join us here on Talking Birds this morning to tell us about it. Meanwhile, can you feed pumpkin seeds to your birds? Maybe you have a lot of pumpkin seeds left over from that big pie on Thanksgiving. We'll check in with Mike O'Connor from the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod who knows about stuff like this and is willing to share the information. That's on this morning's Let's Ask Mike Live segment. And up next, the Blue Nun is today's featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. When you hear the name Blue Nun, you may think of an inexpensive wine that was popular among the young and thirsty back in the 70s. And when you hear the name Waterman, you may think of a fellow who goes fishing and crabbing in Chesapeake Bay. But we're thinking, of course, of a bird that's also known by those names and a few others. Like Blue Peter, Mud Hen, and Pond Chicken. It seems odd that the word purple doesn't show up in any of those names because this bird has some serious purple going on, including in its official common name. You may have figured out by now that this bird that swims like a duck and walks on floating plants like a water-loving chicken is the purple gallinule. It has purple on the head, 
the neck, and the undersides. But it offers a whole kaleidoscope of colors with a green back, a yellow-tipped red bill, a light blue forehead, a white undertail, and yellow legs. Here in the U.S., the purple gallinule is mostly found along the Gulf Coast, although it does occasionally show up in northern states and even southern Canada. It lives in freshwater marshes, using its very long toes to help distribute its weight as it walks across lily pads, foraging for seeds, flowers, grains, and invertebrates. And here's its kind of squeaky, clucking call. Our bird of many names, Blue Nun, Waterman, Blue Peter, Mud Hen, Pond Chicken, and many colors, green, red, blue, white, yellow, and purple, gets the genus part of its scientific name from being one of the swamp hens of the rail family, and gets the species part of its scientific name from having first been discovered on the island of Martinique. It's Porfirio Martinica, the purple gallinule. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us here. Our show number 602. Hope you'll visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. No G in Talking. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com. That's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to download your free app today. Dr. Peter Mara is the director of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center in Washington, D.C., and co-author with Chris Santella of Cat Wars, The Devastating Consequences of a Cuddly Killer. And he joins us on the phone right now. Good morning, Pete. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for being with us, Pete. We all know, I guess, that cats killing birds is a problem based on your research and research by others. How serious a problem is it? How many birds do cats really kill? It's a really serious problem, in fact. Um, you know, our estimates uh, from a couple of years ago, a paper we pulled together uh, that compiles all of the best research and all of the best data uh, globally, suggests that cats kill, in the United States, a minimum of 1.3 billion birds a year, and up to as many as 4 billion. And that's, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in there, and that's because there's a lot of uncertainty, there is uncertainty out there, but a minimum estimate is pretty good, uh, and pretty conservative of 1.3 billion. And to me, that's more than enough information that uh, suggests we need to take action. And I, I get the sense in a lot of these studies, too, and you use the word conservative, a lot of these estimates, um, you know, for other things associated with cats and some of the problems created really are conservative estimates, aren't they? They really are. And that's what most people are having a hard time grasping uh, from the cat side because they, we, are, we are trying to be very conservative because we recognize this is such a contentious issue um, because people really value cats. But when you when you really try to approach this from a conservative uh, perspective, it's still a big problem. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about the title, Cat Wars. Who is, who is at war here? 
The, it's, this is uh, really not a war between cats and wildlife. The cat wars refers to the war between people on both sides here. And I've been, I've been subject to this, and all my, many of my colleagues on the science side have been subject to this as well. Whenever there's a paper or any information that comes out talking about the negative impacts of cats, there is just this, this real argument that, that uh, ensues. There's just an attack on the science, mainly by people that don't really understand the science. And that's what's unfortunate, but it, it in, in a way, is a microcosm of what we're seeing in, a, in, a, uh, um, in the world right now. It's this anti-science, uh, anti-climate change, you know, uh, approach, anti-facts, anti-information approach to things. And so the title Cat Wars is really about this war uh, between between people, um, one side that I would argue is really trying to um, uh, attack the science, the science that, yeah, there's, there's holes in the science here and there, but in general, the science is pretty solid. Um, and this other side, um, uh, the, 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 from, the, from the cat advocacy group, that just they care about cats so much, they don't want to even think about the science. So that's really the war there. It's, it's, between, it's between the people, not between cats and the wildlife. And, and the passions that are stirred are, are pretty amazing and frightening. I mean, in, in your book, you talk about uh, folks who have been, you know, received death threats over, over their positions about this. Yeah, I, I've received several uh, from this book, um, all sorts of threats, but certainly uh, death threats um, when the book first came out, and actually just as recent as just a couple weeks ago. Wow. Uh, even with that conservative uh, approach that you're taking in terms of quoting numbers and such. And you talk in the book about whether bird uh, kills by cats are compensatory or additive. In other words, whether these kills just substitute for bird deaths that would have occurred uh, from other causes like disease or starvation, or whether they are what you describe as additives, uh, deaths that are additional uh, to those other factors. What are the, what are the arguments there? Yeah, so, you know, uh, folks that are real advocates for letting cats outside, just, as you say, they just say that these, cat, these cats are just killing birds that would have died anyway. And what I argue in the book, and I, I explain in simple terms, is that actually that's not the case at all. Um, cats have contributed to a minimum of 63 species extinctions around the world, which is just mind-blowing, in, 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 in my opinion. And that they've argued that in mainland areas that doesn't really occur, and that, that those extinctions actually are in places like Australia and, and other, other uh, island continent areas, and not just in islands. But when you look at the impacts of cats at local smaller scales, which you have to do to really assign you know, how many birds or mammals are cats really killing, we see significant population impacts, and that cats are really causing the declines of animals at local scales, say neighborhood scales. And there's been a lot of studies... Uh, more than you might think of the impacts of cats at those scales. And again, there, cats are taking and, and contributing to the majority of mortality and causing declines of birds or mammals at those local scales. So it's significant. And that scales up to larger scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, you suggest, Pete, I think that there are really two main threats to birds from cat predation, the direct killing and the danger of disease. Uh, tell us about that disease part briefly. I mean, it's pretty scary and not just for birds. That's right. And so, you know, cats carry a whole suite of diseases. <clears throat> um, the big one really is toxoplasmosis. And um, toxoplasma is a, toxoplasma gondii is a protozoan parasite. Um, and it's really a fascinating pathogen. Um, the idea there is that uh, cats 
spread this pathogen for a couple weeks. They shed tens of thousands, if not millions, of these oocytes, small little oocytes, a stage of the of the toxoplasma into the into the environment. And the idea is that small rodents uh, and, even, and birds will pick up that uh, uh, parasite, that oocyst, and the oocyst actually change the, changes the behavior. It manipulates the behavior of those those hosts and makes them much more um, uh, uh, risk-taking. They, they, they become much more curious, and they actually become attracted to cats, the smell of cats, the smell of cat and urine, and they make, they make themselves easier prey, uh, thereby allowing that parasite to once again reproduce in the cats, because cats are the definitive host for this, for this parasite to reproduce. The problem is, is that our environment is completely um, polluted with these toxoplasma oocysts. Uh, and they get into humans, both through direct ingestion, uh, through fecal-oral contact, and also through um, eating raw meat uh, or undercooked meat. Um, that's a whole story in itself. But right now we're looking at upwards of 20% of the United States human population and a third of the global population being infected with toxoplasma oocysts. These oocysts have now have been shown in, in really convincing research, lots of papers, and I go into this in the book, in our book, Cat Wars. Um, it's, it's, it's been shown to be uh, a cause of things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, suicides, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and, of course, most people are familiar with the impacts of toxoplasmosis uh, through what it does to pregnant women and miscarriages. And, you know, for years and years and years, we've been warned of those, of those risks. Uh, but it turns out the risks are much greater. I wanted to ask you about TNR, uh, trap, neuter, return. We, uh, unfortunately, we, I don't think we'll have time to really say much about it either, but maybe you could just give us quickly your your opinion of it. Sure. So TNR, trap, neuter, return, is thought to be an idea that avoids a no-kill strategy for um, keeping cats outside. And there's two big points I'd like to make about this. The first is that there are, there's very little quantitative evidence that suggests that it actually works, that over time these populations go extinct. And that's primarily because we can't catch enough cats to sterilize them. We've got to sterilize a minimum of 75 to 90 percent of the cats in the colony. That's very hard to do. Um, but second, the very idea of TNR is actually flawed, uh, and that's because it leaves cats in the landscape where they continue to impact birds and other wildlife, continue to shed disease, so it's flawed from multiple perspectives, um, and I think we really need to reevaluate that and um, think of other strategies, and there are other strategies for dealing with this enormous cat problem. So if trap, neuter, return doesn't work, uh, other ideas like cat sanctuaries people have tried, which maybe doesn't seem uh, really a, a, you know, a, a practical idea. Is there a viable solution, and are you optimistic? So I think, you know, I am optimistic because the cat problem relative to these more significant issues like habitat destruction and climate change, in order to save our birds, the cat problem is something that's reversible. It, I just think it's something that we can get, it, we can get it on top of. For me, it's a, it's a prioritization sort of a thing, and I think we need to figure out, first off, where are there cats that intersect with really important biodiversity areas or they, where they pose a uh, human health conundrum, things like that, you know, in schoolyards. I mean, there are TNR colonies on places like elementary schools where there's a real disease risk. We, that should be a zero-tolerance situation. Um, every state has biodiversity, uh, high, high biodiversity areas of high importance, whether, uh, whether it's in Cape May, New Jersey, or, or uh, Key West in Florida. Every state has them. We cannot tolerate cats in those situations. In those areas, we need to adopt them out. Um, put, if people want to put them in sanctuaries, that's fine. 
But in many cases, what we have to face is the sad reality of euthanasia. Um, we do that with other animals. We, we have to do it in this situation. There's just no getting around it. Um, we're dealing with a real biodiversity crisis right now. 35% of the birds of North America are declining significantly. We can't mess around with this anymore. Um, we just can't. We need to step forward and, and make the difficult decisions. And, and that's what we're promoting in the book. And, that's, and we're trying to bring that, that information together uh, so uh, people that aren't that familiar with this issue will get the information they need from the data and the science to, to step forward and, and push, push, this, push this message. Dr. Peter Mara is director of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, Washington, D.C., and co-author of Cat Wars, The Devastating Consequences of a Cuddly Killer. Pete, thanks for being with us. Good luck with the book and your ongoing efforts to save birds. Thank you so much. Coming up, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Happy holidays! Here's some hot holiday news from our friends at Birds and Beans, purveyors of certified shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. It's the New England Christmas Box. Each artisan-crafted box is made of sustainable pine and cedar from the state of Maine. Inside the box, a two-pound bag of delicious Birds and Beans coffee in your choice of roasts, including decaf, and three 10-ounce jars of Vermont-based Blake Hill Preserves, blueberry, strawberry, and raspberry, lovingly handmade from local sustainably grown whole fruits and no artificial ingredients. By the way, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of Birds and Beans coffee helps support the educational and conservational efforts of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And that's just one of the reasons we love Birds and Beans coffee here at Talkin' Birds. Get your New England Christmas box from Birds and Beans now for the holidays. Find it at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Just a reminder, you can hear our show live every week online, no matter where you are. And then you can enter our mystery bird contest. Just go to TalkinBirds.com to see how to do it. We urge you to call as soon as you can on our mystery bird contest at 781-837-4900. Our prize this morning, the Droll Yankees SFD Double Suet Feeder. Holds two big cakes of suet or raw suet and has a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Not a lot of melody there, but uh, some nice rhythm. 781-837-4900 is the number. Our large coastline, large lake, and river-dwelling mystery bird, the size of a big gull, sports a white body, a black cap, and a large coral red bill with a dark tip. Our bird feeds mostly by diving for fish. It breeds in central Canada, Great Lakes, parts of the western U.S., and winters in southern California out west, Carolinas back east, as well as in the Caribbean and Mexico. Tell us what it is or take your guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner, and a, a correct guess will also uh, determine our winner. One or the other, 781-837-4900 is the number. Meanwhile, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. The holidays are coming, and so is the cold weather. You're busy, but don't forget about the birds. They need the best food they can get, and Audubon Park Wild Bird Food provides the nutrition birds need to survive and thrive. Make time to feed your backyard birds this month with every bird's favorite food from Audubon Park, a family-owned business that appreciates yours. And be sure to check them out on Facebook for great bird food giveaways. Audubon Park Wild Bird Food, proudly made in the USA. 
Hi, it's Ray with your invitation to join us in the Galapagos Islands with Sunrise Birding. I'll be your host, joined by expert local guides who'll show us giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and incredible birds, including Darwin's famous finches. We'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. And there are now just two cabins still available. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. All right, cue the theme. It's the theme for Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike Live segment. Mike O'Connor from the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. Hey, it's uh, almost that time of year here on the, what is it here? Uh, the uh, Oh, the 4th of December. Um, but you're still refining your recommendations for gifts this year. Am I correct? Well, I'm talking about... Here's what I decided to yeah. do. First of all, I'm glad I got the cheery topic. Usually, I'm the one with the <laughs> with the grim news. But yeah, um, that last guest was excellent. But um, I think we uh, cheer you up with a, a little bit of a better way or a new way to feed the birds. More about recycling, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the, the pumpkins. The pumpkins that everybody went mm-hmm. out and got a few weeks ago, and we're all excited, and yeah. we all picked the best one. Mm-hmm. And now they're kind of forgotten, and they're probably going to rot away on the on the porch someplace. But I think what you should do is go out now while the weather's still nice or bring them in the house and for a nice indoor project. Cut the pumpkins in half and then take out the seeds because the birds really like pumpkin seeds. I mean, people like them. They're healthy things. You find them in all the hippie stores. But you also <laughs> can get take them out and, and, and offer them to the birds. And it's uh, um, kind of a nice – I can't believe I'm telling people to uh, – not go out and buy bird seed. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind weird. of. <laughs> I'm not doing myself any favors there, <laughs> but I think if you go out, you cut, cut the pumpkins in half, and then you take out the seeds mm-hmm. and kind of wash them off like a colander, rinse them out under the sink, and then you can dry them. You can do them two ways. You can put them on a screen, and maybe put them in a sunny room or on a board, and let let them dry naturally. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in a hurry, put them on a cookie sheet and put them on low heat, maybe like 200 degrees for about 10 minutes, just to dry them off, and then you can put them out for the birds. Uh, typically, uh, um, a tray feeder is good. I really like tray feeders for all these kinds of weird foods, and this is perfect for that. The birds like them fine. Birds like uh, chickadees, of course, and cardinals and mice, and all the, the the feeder birds like them. But it's a different treat, and it's a different look, and it's better than just kind of uh, you know letting the pumpkin rot out there. I think it's a real good way of kind of recycling, and it's kind of a um, kind of a nice project mm-hmm. for um, you know for, for you guys, for people to do this time of year when it's kind of crappy out. Yeah, all right. And then you can you go back to the sunflower seeds when those are all gone. Oh, yeah, and yeah. buy them. And buy them. Especially <laughs> if you're anywhere near Cape Cod, <laughs> buy them at the Birdwatchers Children's Store. Mike, thank you. We'll talk to you and uh, get some gift recommendations next week. Oh, well, I can do that, too. Sure. Okay, right. we'll do it next week. All right. We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. Here's our mystery bird. It's a large coastline, large lake and river dwelling bird, size of a big gull, a white body, black cap, and a large coral red bill with a dark tip. 781-837-4900 is our number. What is it? Charlie is in Duxbury, Massachusetts. Good morning, Charlie. Hey, Ray, how you been? It's been a long time. Well, it's good to hear from you. What's going on, Charlie? Uh, just uh, enjoying the beautiful day. Going to go do some bird walking probably down in Duxbury Beach. All right. Sounds and, nice. And uh, I tell everybody about your show. It's a phenomenal show, and I learn something different every week. Very kind. Thank you, Charlie. How about our mystery bird? I want to go with a snowy egret. The snowy egret. You can go with the snowy egret if you like, Charlie, but it's not our mystery bird. Hey. 
<laughs> well, Ray, thank you. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Okay? Merry Christmas. Thank you, Charlie. What is thank our mystery you, bird? 781-837-4900. Sue is right here in Marshfield, Massachusetts. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. You heard uh, uh, Charlie there. He thought it was a snowy egret, and we said no. What do you uh, What do you say, Sue? Um, I'm going to go a little slower. I mean, a little smaller. I'm going to guess a, a turn. A turn. Uh, any particular kind of turn that you'd like to suggest um, there? Mm-hmm, a roseated mm-hmm. turn. A roseated turn, yeah. It's the only one I can come up with. <laughs> well, that's, my a, head. that's a good one, but uh, that is not, not that one. Not, right? not that one, but... Um, we're almost out of time. I want to give you a... We don't usually do this, but if you want to get a, a second guess, I'm, we can go with that. But, but you know, oh, that probably won't work because oh. you said you didn't have another another. I did, no, I would say yeah. a black cap. I don't know if there is such a black thing cap as turn. Bl- black well, cap turn. Well, there is now. You just invented it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there is one somewhere else, another country somewhere. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Thank you, Sue. Okay. All right. Thank uh, you. And stay. Okay. Uh, keep listening because uh, if no correct answer is received, we'll have a drawing to determine our winner. And we have uh, Rose. Uh, sorry, we have Rose on oh, the line. Oh, okay. Rose. Uh, thanks, Jesse. Good morning, Rose. Yes. Hi. Hi. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Duxbury. And quickly, your answer. Um, I can't hear you very well. Oh, your answer. Uh, common turn. Oh, not a common turn. But thanks for the try. We're out of time. We're going to uh, do a drawing here. And uh, Sue in Marshfield, Sue, you're our winner. Call us back and we'll uh, take care of that. Uh, meanwhile, that is it for our show this week. Thanks for being with us. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you.